0: So uh, we have uh, ended our sermon series called The Story, and we've got um, to make a transition here. And and so uh, I've tried to figure out what we want to do kind of moving forward. Thankfully, Christmas is coming up, so that makes it pretty easy. We'll talk about Christmas come December and what that means and Christ's birth means at that time. But up to that point in time, we're going to talk about a few things. Today, we're going to talk about fear Uh, next week. Um, we may, uh, we're going to probably address the Protestant Reformation somehow, because believe it or not, October 31st isn't just Halloween. Um, it is the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation, and there's a lot there, and there could be a lot to talk about, so I may just pick out, like, one or two things, maybe just one thing to kind of focus on, uh, like the rediscovery of grace, um, or something like that. We'll figure it out, uh, next week. But then after that, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be doing a, a sermon series in, uh. November is just called making change uh, in our lives. It's easy to clutter our lives with just a lot of different, different stuff. And so um, some of it will be about decluttering and, and even adding things maybe to our lives that we need to add and getting rid of some things in our lives that we need to get rid of. And so we're going to talk about things like how stress is bad uh, in our life, um, how sometimes less can be more, uh, how giving is good, and how tomorrow ultimately matters. And so we kind of look. For, we're looking forward to all of that as we kind of come up in the in the coming months um, and weeks to come. But today we are talking about fear, and, and I, th- I think it's appropriate uh, since Halloween is coming up. And I think something we all associate Halloween with is this idea of fear. You know, I was <laughs> driving down the road the other day, and like there is this head, um, and like you know, it just a head hanging um, on somebody's like mailbox. Or something, and it, like it, it like caught me off guard. I, I was like, "Oh, okay," um, and because you know, like I used to like watch like horror films and all of those sorts of things, but I've just kind of gotten away from all of that personally. And so, like when you know, I've gotten to the point like, well, oh, and then I think like, man, I'm glad like Judah isn't in the in the back seat. Um, because, you know, we all kind of struggle with fear, and it begins at a young age. But really, we never, as we become adults, it's not like um, we, we're no longer afraid of anything. Um, we still have fears, don't we? And, and so as you think of maybe of your uh, fears, like, what, what are you afraid of? Uh, I mean, what are you genuinely afraid of? Maybe it's, maybe it's heights, or you're not really afraid of heights, but you're afraid of falling, right? Um, maybe it's, it's going bald. Uh, anybody been there? Right. Yeah? Um, maybe it's just failure. Uh, maybe it's ridicule. Maybe you're, you're afraid of spiders, snakes, like a zombie apocalypse. Uh, my, my parents are here to see our new son, and they're staying at a hotel, and they took my youngest son yesterday, uh, and, and, or my oldest son, um, <laughs> and my daughter to the hotel with them, and they got up that morning and walked into the breakfast, the lounge there, and they said the TV was on, and they said the Walking Dead happened to be on. And so my son, who loves TV, like we have to monitor how much TV he's allowed to watch, of course the first thing that he sees when he walks down into the lobby are a bunch of zombies uh, walking around, and then he points that out to Mamaw and Papaw that there are monsters on the TV. Um, And so I'm sure he's not going to sleep for the next week. In my house, we're not even allowed to watch anything like that because Emily thinks like zombies are real. Uh, She is actually afraid of like a zombie apocalypse, kind of an over over uh, uh, active imagination. And we're going to talk about that here in a minute. Uh, Fear isn't too hard to talk about in a sermon because actually uh, the Bible talks about fear a lot. And in fact, um, the Bible says, "Do not fear," or some sort of. Uh, fear not, or don 't be afraid roughly, roughly three hundred and sixty six times uh, so that 's enough do not fears for every day of the week or every, yeah every day of the year, excuse me and and leap year right so um, if if God wants you not to do something, fearing is one of them in fact it 's probably just kind of like this overlooked even like sin that we just don 't really care about it, don't talk about a whole lot, um, but God doesn't want us to fear. But we often worry or we have anxiety in our life um, as Christians and just as people. And so this morning, as we look at the scriptures together, um, I want us to address at least three fears that we see in the Bible. The first is what I'm just calling the fear of what if, the fear of what if. The second will be the fear of people, and the third will be the fear of punishment, And so I'll kind of try to give remedies and kind of how God addresses these as well. And so let's just jump into the fear of what if. Now the fear of what if is the fear that stems from our imagination. And so these are objects or situations in our lives that aren't really real. And so we just kind of ask what if. And so our imagination kind of just churns. Now, your imagination can be a very good thing, and it can either help you or hinder you. In fact, God has given you an imagination so that you can even envision a better future. However, some of us, right, that's not what we do. Um, So if those of you who have kind of an imagination that helps, you're probably an optimist. Um, An imagination that hinders, you're a pessimist. Uh, Your imagination can make you hopeful, or it can make you hopeless. It can lift you up, or it can tear you down. Your imagination can bring joy to your life, or it can torture you. And the truth is probably that some of you, as you are here this morning, right you have kind of that imagination that tortures you. Tortures you. You're always worrying. You're always asking kind of the what-if questions. And you're asking these what-if questions over situations that will probably never take place in your life. Charles Spurgeon, um, a, a Baptist pastor in the 1800s, he was known as the Prince of the Pulpit, had this to say about our imaginary fears. He says, many of God's people are constantly under apprehensions of calamities which will never occur to them, and they suffer more in merely dreading them than they would have to endure if they actually came upon them. In their imagination, there are rivers in their way, And they are anxious to know how they shall wade through them or swim across them. There are no such rivers in existence, but they are agitated and distressed about them. An Old proverb says, Don't cross the bridge till you come to it. But these timid people are continually crossing bridges that only exist in their foolish fantasies. They stab themselves with imaginary daggers, they starve themselves with imaginary famines, and they even bury themselves in imaginary graves. We are such strange creatures that we probably suffer more under the blows which never fall upon us than we ever do under those who actually come. The rod of God does not strike us as sharply as the rod of our own imagination does. Our groundless fears are our chief tormentors. And we are, when we are able to abolish our foolish, foolish self-inflictions, all our worries of the world become light and easy. It's interesting in Matthew 6... Uh, Jesus comes out and he says, he says, do not worry. Do not be anxious about tomorrow. And he says to look around. God, Jesus says, God takes care of everything around you. God is going to take care of you. Quit imagining everything bad that can happen to you tomorrow and allow God to take care of you today. And the truth is that some of us worry so much about tomorrow is that we never really get busy living today. Right? And part of this what-if fear Uh, comes from the thinking about tomorrow, the unknown. And there are some reasons that we fear the unknown, and the reason that we fear the unknown is because we fear not being in control. Some of us just, we really like to be able to control every situation, and so the fear of unknown probably kind of feels like this to you. Um, If I can know, then I can control the situation, and if I don't, then I'm not in control. And not not, not being in control is just scary to you. And so, Right? You, you fear things, maybe even like committing to Christ, because you fear like if I come to Christ, maybe my family won't follow me or maybe they'll ridicule me. We fear not getting married because um, we fear that we won't be able to have the family that we always wanted and they won't be who we always wanted them to be. We fear getting married and having to give, give up our personal freedoms to care for somebody else and what that would look like. We fear that our kids will be socially awkward and make bad decisions, because we ultimately can't control them. We fear of not being in control of our kids when they move away, and we start to imagine what they might do without us. We fear that we won't be successful at a new job. We fear of, not, we fear of being generous, because what if we lose our job or the economy crashes? Now, these what-if fears or the fear of the unknown, can paralyze us and keep us from moving forward into a better future. This is what happens to a whole generation in the Bible. In Numbers 13, what we see is that God is promising uh, an entire nation, a whole group of people, he's saying, I I promise you that I'm going to give you a land full of milk and honey, that you're going to have a better future. All you have to do is move into the land. And so what takes place is Moses gets a group of leaders together from all the tribes, and he says, I'm going to send you out into the land, and you're going to check, you're going to check and see the people who are there, because we need to come up with a plan uh, to figure out how we are going to move forward and conquer, conquer these people who are in the lands that God has promised to give us. Uh, and so I do want to give a quick note here, right? Um, planning is not being afraid, right? God wants you to plan what you're going to do, as you move forward, but if God calls you to it, he he wants you to come up to the plane, and then he wants you to go, and so this is what, this is what Moses hopes is going to take place as he sends the spies out. He expects the spies to come back and say, hey, this is what's going on, and this is how we need to move forward, but as the spies go, all of them come back, and they come back fearful, and then, then they begin to, like, spread fear throughout the camp, and I want, I want to show you here what they do in Numbers 13. Here's the report they spread, in other words, these spies here, spread a bad report uh, about the land among the Israelites. And so these spies who came back who are fearful. They're, they're spreading this bad report among all of these people so they won't move forward, and so they don't have to go and fight and experience what God wants them to experience. And this is what they say. They said, The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge, and we even saw giants there the descendants of Ankh. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought too. And so as they come back, this bad report, it's driven by fear, and what the people say is that they saw giants, and then they describe themselves as what? Grasshoppers. Now, this is not like a very tough way to describe yourself or very manly way to describe yourself, right? Grasshoppers are at the bottom of the food chain, right? There's like the grass that they eat, the grasshopper, and then everything else, okay? And so they describe themselves as people that could be crushed by the people that were in the land that God told them that was theirs to begin with, right? Uh, And so they begin just kind of making this up in their head that there's no way, there's no way that they can move forward. And to be honest, they don't, right? They, they don't get all the way to the promised land. God actually keeps this entire generation of fearful people from moving forward to the thing that God had called them to. Right? And so I don't know really what that is in your life, the thing that God is calling you to, the promised land or that place or that relationship. Uh, But the truth is, right, if you remain fearful, you you very well may not move forward. When Peter gets out of the boat during the storm, Jesus is telling Peter, come to me, Peter, keep your eyes on me. And Peter begins to walk on water. And the the moment that Peter begins to look at the storm, what takes place? He sinks. He falls. The the Bible says that he became fearful and, and he no longer continues to walk forward. And so what, what is, I guess, the remedy to the fear of what if? It, it's this. It's faith. It, it's faith. It, it's faith that God is with you. Now, now, you might be saying this morning, well, Josh, I have faith. Like, I believe in Jesus. I, I believe that God is, is with me. Like, what are you talking about? Um, well, I, I want to I show you here. Um, what, how kind of Jesus addresses this. And this is in Matthew 8:23 and 20 through 28. So this is another storm. Another storm is happening here, and Jesus is heading across the boat with your, his disciples. You'll see in verse 23, Jesus gets into the boat and started across the lake with his disciples. And suddenly a fierce storm struck the lake with the waves breaking into the boat, but Jesus is sleeping. Like, have you ever felt like that? Like your life, like things just kind of seem to be falling apart. A storm is coming, and Jesus just seems to be sleeping. Like, I'm sure, like you've been there. Um, And this is what's going on with the disciples. Well, wait a second. We're on a boat with Jesus. A storm is coming, and Jesus is asleep. Why? Like, it just seems like one of the things that you have to do to be able to sleep is you've got to be calm, right? And you have to have not, you have to have a baby not crying next to you, but But one of the things I really think God wants us to see here is, like, like Jesus isn't troubled by our, our storms. Like, like it, it, it's not that Jesus isn't aware of what's going on. It's that we are, we are troubled much more by the storms in our life than God is. And it's not that God isn't empathetic. He is. Like God, Jesus, had, this is one of the things that we're told, Jesus came to earth because he knows what we're experiencing. He's been through everything that we've been through. But, but the storm of your life isn't rocking God's world. And that, that should be something that's relatively comfort, comforting to us. It continues, and it says The disciples went and woke him up, shouting, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. Jesus responded, Why are you so afraid? And then he tells them, He says, You have so little faith. Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves, and suddenly there was a great calm, and the disciples were amazed. Who is this man? they asked. Even the winds and the waves obey him. So what happens? Disciples go to Jesus in the midst of their storm. This is something good that we should do as well. We should go to Jesus in the midst of our storm when we are fearful. But then Jesus asks them a simple question. And he just asks, why are you afraid? And their answer, and he answers it for them. Like this is just a question that Jesus wasn't even going to give them time to answer. Often you see in the Bible, like Jesus will ask them a question. He gives them an opportunity to answer it incorrectly. (laughs) And then he corrects them. But here he's not even, because the storm is going on, he says, let's just get right to it. And and he says this, he says, you have little faith. This is why you are so fearful. Now, what's interesting is Jesus doesn't say here, you have no faith. He, He says that you have little faith. In other words, the faith that you have for this storm is too small to get you through it. The faith that you have at this moment, it's ineffective or it's deficient for the moment. Now it's hard to tell how long these men have been with Jesus at this point when the storm hits because in each gospel It's kind of towards the beginning In Matthew. It's uh, in chapter 8 and Mark. It's in chapter 4 and John It's in and 6 and so I I, I'm gonna guess like they've been with Jesus for about a year now But Jesus is still telling them you've been with me for about a year You've been walking with me. You've been seeing the miracles that i'm able to do and, And yet your faith still just it isn't big enough to get you through this storm And Jesus wants us to grow in our faith. Jesus wants our faith to continue to blossom, to continue to grow, and allow the storms in our lives to actually challenge us to grow in our trust for them, for him. What Jesus does is he gets up and he rebukes the storm. Now, you know, I I wish this all the time happened, like in our lives. Right, when we see something going wrong that Jesus just is able to just put a stop to it. Uh, we know that this doesn't happen all the time. We know it sometimes happens. And so uh, this, this isn't prescriptive here. Like every time you go to Jesus, it doesn't mean that situation is just going to stop. However, what is going on here is when the, when the men marvel at Jesus being able to control the storm and stop the storm. Well, what we are trying to be told here and what we are tr- trying to be taught here is that Jesus is in control of the situation, that the winds and the waves obey God, that, that, that your life is ultimately under the hand of God. And we have to grow in our faith and believe that that is true, that no matter what we're going through, uh, that, that God is at work and that God can change it and that God can bring us out on the other side, safer and better, that God is, as Romans 8.28 says, that God is working all things out for the good for those who love Him and are called according to the, His purpose. Okay. So this morning, right, if you are struggling, or if you're one of those people that struggle like with the what-if fears, you're always asking what if, Like, make that an opportunity to grow in your faith and believe that God is at work in the midst of your storm, Working everything out for good, even though that you can't see it. The second fear that I want to address this morning is the fear of people. Now, this probably sounds like, what do others, what will others do or think of me? Right? You, you ask that question pretty often in your head. right? If, if I were to say, um, right, I struggle with one of these the most, it's probably this one. Right? If you're maybe a people pleaser or really worry about what others think of you um, or how others perceive you, uh, you know this is a fear that you have, the fear of people. All of us, to a certain extent, probably fear the ridicule of other people. The trouble with this is it gives people control over our lives. And so this means that our behavior and our attitudes are controlled by what we think others how we think others are going to perceive us or think of us, and so this gives others control of our lives instead of God, and this affects us negatively in a number of ways. It can affect our marriage, right? If people find out that our our marriage isn't perfect or our spouse isn't perfect or I'm not perfect— Right, we begin to grow, maybe angry or disappointed, and often that disappointed ends up carrying over into our spouse and our relationship. And so, what typically happens is one spouse takes it out on the other spouse because, of course, it's the other spouse's fault, right, for making you look bad and being ridiculed by other people. Um, perhaps uh, it affects your it, it affects your parenting, right? Uh, instead of parenting out of love for God and your children right? You, you parent out of fear for what will other people think about the way I want to raise my child to know the Lord and the steps that we take to do that. It affects your growth and health. The fear of people will keep you from going and getting the help you need. If people discover that your life is messier uh, than you want them to know it is, you'll never go and get the help that you truly need to change. Now, Jesus addresses the fear of people, and he says it like this, um, in Matthew ten twenty eight, he says this. He says, he says, don't be afraid of those who can kill your body. In other words, just don't be afraid of people. Like, people can put you to death. People can harm your body, but they can't touch your soul. And then he says, fear only God. So Jesus tells us not to fear people. This is because the root of fear is, get this, it's making people greater than God. You get that? The root of fearing people is making people greater than God. You see, when we fear another person, what we are doing is we are placing them above God and we are giving them control of our lives. And so Jesus actually says something very interesting about this. He says, don't fear people. He says, so here's the remedy. Like, here's how you get over fearing people. What does he say to do? It's, it's highlighted. <laughs> right. Uh, uh. Uh, he says, fear only God. Right? Fear only God. A- at the end of the day, when we lay our head down or when we meet the Lord, we are going to be accountable right, to the Lord. Right? This is the only person that we should fear. And this has always been God's plan for his people. Uh, I-, I love this passage out of Deuteronomy 10, verses 12 and 13. This is Israel. In other words, like people of God, what does God require of you? but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, to love Him, to serve Him, (laughs) with all your heart, with all your soul. Sorry, I'm trying to memorize this verse, right? I'm working on it. Um, With all your heart, heart, with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes that I'm commanding you today for your good. So what does it mean to fear God? Well, right, if you are a believer and if you are following J- Jesus, what it means to fear God is to revere him. That's what it means. It means obeying God is your first priority. It is to love God above all else, everything else. You know, in the Old Testament, the word for worship, it's covet, and, and actually what it means, it means like heaviness or weighty, And and so when we come to worship God, and when we worship God, what we are actually doing is we are giving God a weight and a position that we don't give anyone or anything else. And so this is what it means to fear God. Um, The trouble is when we're driven by what others think of us, um, you are giving worship to them, and you're giving them a heaviness or a weightiness that only God deserves when you're seeking approval of the opinions of others instead of the approval of God. So, God ends this verse here, when he tells Moses, he says, um, fearing God is actually better for you. One, because God is the only one who needs to be worshipped. God is the only one who truly needs to be fear, feared. And, and, like, three, like, think about this, is that if you are fearing God, like, fearing God is the way to kind of get out of your people-pleasing life. It's it a way to kind of step away from being controlled, by the opinions and the attitudes of others um, and have freedom in in following the Lord yourself. And so I want to encourage you to put God in the first place of your life if you have the fear of people. And then finally, the final fear is the fear of punishment. The fear of punishment. Now this might sound uh, uh, to some of you in your heads, um, God is out to get me for my past sins. Like God is just kind of waiting around to punish you, and that God is after you. Uh, if this is you, you probably carry a lot of guilt and brokenness around in your life. Maybe you um, understand that God is just, and so you just fear God. Perhaps um, you don't see how God can forgive somebody who's had an abortion, who's made decisions that has ruined relationships, who have committed adultery. It's been re- maybe you've been responsible for actually leading people away from Christ, or have spent a life turning your back on Christ. So, you know, when I say, like, hey, you need to fear God, you fear God, but the only thing you fear is the punishment of God. Now, the Bible does teach us um, how to no longer fear the punishment or the just judgment of God, and the remedy for this is God's perfect love. In 1 John 4, here's what we're told, and before I get to this, like, I just want you to look at me, because this is what you need to know uh, as far as all of this is concerned, is, is this, is that God loves you, right? God loves you. Now, I want to read 1 John, because if you get anything from 1 John, you need to know that. 1 John four seventeen through 18 says this, By this love is perfected, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is so, also we are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So, uh, in verse 17 here, it says, we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Now, two things I want uh, for you to see here before we get to perfect love cast out fear um, is one is that there is a day of judgment, okay? So I, I would be neglecting part of this verse and a part of a real, a real fear in our life if I didn't say that there's a day of judgment. I remember having um, a football coach who would always yell at us, Put the fear of God in them. And I never really knew what that meant growing up a whole lot. And I don't think he did either, really, uh, to be honest, looking back um, on the other things that he had said. Um, (laughs) uh, But but the truth is, like, like, if you don't know Jesus and aren't following Jesus and don't know what the love of God is and haven't received it, like, you actually should fear God. Because there will be a time where you'll have to come and you'll have to stand before God and you'll have to give an account for your life. And so what John is saying, he's not neglecting that God is unjust or that there's not a day of judgment. He's saying that this is true. However, on the other hand, he says that you can be confident as you stand before God. And here's how he says that we can be confident, right, if we know the love of God. And what he is describing is, is God's perfect love in our life where we know that Christ has gone to the cross and he has paid the just cost that we deserve for our life on the cross. And when we receive Jesus' perfect life and his death and his punishment on that cross, when we receive that as our salvation and as God's offering on our behalf, right? we can stand before God confident that we will not be judged in a way that will put condemnation on our lives. Right? The cross is the perfect love of God. And so John continues on, and he says, perfect love casts out all fear, for fear has to do with punishment. Right? I, I just want you to know, if, if, if you have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, no matter what you've done in your life, right, you do not have to fear punishment. One of the ways um, or illustrations, I've kind of heard this described is like this. Um, right, most of you have cars. Most of you drive. Now let's pretend, after church, you are driving home and you're going like 105 miles an hour. Uh, all right. I don't know where you live, but you're in a hurry to get home for whatever reason, and you get pulled over. Going 105 miles an hour, and the um, cop comes to you. He's going to impound your car, and he's going to take you to the courthouse. Well, your father is the judge, and you're busted, and at first you're thinking, like, I'm going to get let off, and everything's going to be just fine. But as you are entering the courthouse, you remember that your dad is actually a really good judge. And, And so you begin to realize that your dad always punishes the guilty. He always punishes the guilty. But your dad also always lets the innocent go free. So now as you enter the courthouse, you're a little nervous, right? So what's going to win out here? Your dad's love or his justice? Of course, your dad loves you, so he wants to do good for you, but your dad has been put in the place of being a judge and upholding the law, and so he's just, and so what's the verdict that he's going to render? What do you think he's going to do? Church, do you think it's going to be love or justice, justice. okay? Justice, love, right? You d- depending on what type of personality you have it's probably right. If you if you long for justice, you're saying justice. If you are typically, I just let him go, right? That's yeah. Just, that's who. That's probably what you would think. Now it's hard to know what this father might do, right? If we were in that scenario, but here's what's happening. Um, he's he stand, you're standing before the judge, and he says to you, uh, "Son." The officer says that you were going 50 miles over the speed limit. How do you plead? And so, if you're going 50 miles over the speed limit, and the and the judge asks you, your dad asks you, how do you plead in front of him? How are you going to plead here if you were really doing it? Guilty. Guilty. Yeah, that's a good idea because you're guilty. Um, Bad idea to lie to dad. So he says to the son, "That'll be $500 or a week in jail. Guilty as charged." He brings down the gavel, and you admit that you don't have the $500 to pay. And so the bailiff takes you, he comes and gets you, and he begins to walk you up to the judge to get your sentence. And all of a sudden, the judge says, Wait a minute, bring him back here. He takes off his robe, he walks down behind the bench, and he reaches into his coat pocket and he writes the court a check for $500 the exact amount of your fine, and then he offers it to you. Now, what are you going to do? What's going on here is this. Uh, The judge, your father, declares you're guilty because you are. Then he demands that a penalty be paid because he loves you. And he demands a penalty to be paid, but because he loves you, he is determined to pay the penalty himself on your behalf. And this is what God has done for us. And the truth is, is that God stands here offering us the check. And he's just asking, are we going to accept it? Have you accepted God's love? Have you accepted God's perfect love and his sacrifice and what it cost him to ensure that you will not be punished, you will not pay the penalty here. You can accept it, or you can reject it. What will you do? The truth is, if you still fear being punished by God, right, you haven't truly accepted God's forgiveness and the payment that He has put forward through Christ. Christ didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. Here, And so, right, if you, if you fear punishment, Right? God wants to remove that fear from you by his perfect love. So whatever your fears this morning, here's, here's my goal as we end, is that you seek safety in God. That you know this, that God is worth putting your faith in, that he's in control, that he's working all things out for your good, that God loves you, that God is here with you, And that he just wants you to receive him and believe in him and walk in him and have no fear, my brothers and sisters, because God is with you. Here's what we're going to do this morning um, to kind of end our service. Um, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up here. And uh, one of the things we haven't done in a while uh, is just kind of done like a personal prayer time. And uh, so, uh, you can maybe have a fear that you're just, you, you're wanting God to kind of, pr- to work through, and, and maybe you want some time to pray through that. And so, what I'm going to do is I'm going to stand over here by the altar, and if you have a, you just have any personal prayer requests, It had nothing to do with anything you're afraid of, you just need God to kind of show up in your life in some way, or have something that you want to give God, um, and I'd love to pray for you over here. Um, if you're maybe on this side and you're comfortable with one of our elders praying for you, I'm going to ask that Linda Gooden stand over here and she can pray for you. We also have, if you'd like to be anointed, we have anointed oil, anointing oil here as well. Um, and so if you want to be prayed for this morning by one of the pastors or elders, I encourage you to do that. Um, you can pray and worship at your seat. Sometimes worship is what we need to do. If we have a fear, there's something going on in our life, right? What we need to do is we just need to make God bigger, than that fear. Uh, One of the things that I didn't tell you but is so true, uh, the smaller your God, the bigger your fears. The bigger your God, the smaller your fears. And worship helps to remind us that we have a big God um, that can conquer our fears. And so maybe you just want to stand, you just want to worship. But uh, whatever it is, uh, I just hope you won't be afraid to do what you need to do uh, to allow God to continue to work in your heart and your mind this morning and to show up in your life. Uh, let me pray for us, and um, like I said, if you want to come and, and have me pray over you or, or one of our elders, Linda, pray over you, I'd encourage you to come forward. Hey, Father, we give you thanks uh, this morning because we know that you have been with us. We pray, Father, that as believers that we are not fearful people. You tell us do not fear over 366 times, and so, Father, if it is a, in our nature to fear, uh, to fear the what if, Father, to, to fear people. Um, to fear even uh, punishment, Father, in our lives coming from you. I pray that each morning we wake up and as our feet hit the floor that we're able to remember your word that tells us do not fear. Father, if there's anything going on in somebody's life right now, maybe a decision that needs to be made. um, Maybe, uh, Father, there are uh, people in their lives that are making decisions that are troubling them. Uh, maybe, Father, uh, that their own life is just kind of going through a storm right now, and they're not sure how it's going to turn out. I pray, Father, that you comfort them, that you remind them that you are in control. And, Father, that you increase their faith in you, that you give them a, a supernatural peace at this time that they lean not on their own understanding, but they trust in you and acknowledge your ways. Fathers, we stand and sing here this morning. We pray that our worship makes you bigger and greater than our fears. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.